0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and today I am joined by the incomparable Laura Oakman from NFL on Fox, Westwood One Radio, and Galvanize, among many other things, Laura shares her incredible life motto, how she began living her best life at 40 and why, and how Charles Barkley helped her learn how to build relationships. Beyond that, she shares some incredible advice and stories from her career. You do not want to miss this episode. We are brought to you today by betonline.ag and with that, let's get to it, fangirls. Laura, welcome to the Get My Job podcast. I have been so excited have you on. We spoke before that we are somewhat kindred spirits, and I think we are. So this is just such an honor for me.
1: Oh, it's I'm, I'm so delighted to be doing this with you, Tracy. I, I, I love your voice. I love the platform you're using. So I, I appreciate it so much Have I, with you having me on.
0: Well, thank you, everybody. So we're in a good spot here. Everyone's on the same page. Happy to be here. Um, <laughs> So let's jump on in. One of the first things I always ask our guests, and I always like to make it clear, it's not because you're a woman and I want to know how did you get into sports, but I just want to know what was the impetus for you to be a sports journalist, and was it something you always wanted to do, something you fell into? How did, how did that begin for you?
1: I do love that you prefaced it with that, because sometimes um, over almost 30 years in this business, when I'm still asked why sports, and and I mm-hmm. just kind of always smile, going, "Are men ever asked this question?" Um And really, what I truly would say, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm a Chicago girl, and so to me, it was never why sports; it was why not sports with Bears. We weren't watching Bears games on Sundays. Uh, if you were the boys, you know, it wasn't a party of mm-hmm. boys; it was Chicagoans. You know that I grew up a Bears fan. I grew up in a split household in terms of my, I had a a father who was a North sider and a mom who was a South sider. So we grew up going to white Sox and Cubs games and grew up, um, grew up being a Chicago sports fan. My gender was never in question. It was never, I looked around and went, why am I only with the guy? Uh, You know, there's certain cities um, which are growing more and more. It's not just, you know, the big cities, but uh, it's, it's not a gender thing, but, But I still do appreciate the question of how did that become your life, especially at a time where there weren't many women doing it. And I just remember I was at the University of Kansas, and I always knew journalism. I always knew I was a writer, and I always knew I loved telling stories. And I took a sports class, a sports journalism class, and I loved it and uh, was very much talked out of it or tried to when I had advisors who would say, there's not many women who would do this, or who can do this, or who are doing this. And, and I also knew, looking around my sports class, that I was the only woman. I'm really fortunate. Where my first job was um, was at an ABC affiliate in Montgomery, Alabama, and it was news during the week, news reporting, and it was sports on the weekend. And I had a woman news director who didn't think about it. She was looking for the best person, and. Um, at that time, it wasn't that I was very good. It was just the best person with potential. And <laughs> and she hired me and said, do you know sports? Do you love sports? And it was yes, and it was yes. And so I took that job wanting to find out what kind of stories I love telling. And what was so cool was it was also the capital of Alabama. And so it was a lot of politics, and it was a lot of sports, and it was a lot of sports that were news stories in that in that region because – in the South, you know, and the, S- the SEC is in sports news. It was new. And mm-hmm. so I really got to do everything in that first year. And what I would tell you probably was uh, the moment that I went, okay, it's sports was the first time I covered a dead body and I was oh. standing over one. It was really close to me and it wound up being a suicide. And that's why we were all kind of standing there. And there were probably four of us reporters and, and um and first responders and we were all standing around the body was there i could see it and everybody started talking about what they were doing that night because it was a friday night and Mm -hmm. i was really taken aback by that and i walked away um really uh just really uneasy and one of the police officers followed me and said hey i just want you to know this isn't callous. We're not being callous. We're not we're, we're not, um, we're, not uh, we're not forgetting why we're standing here or, you know, that there's a body there. But in this business, you have to be able to stand close to a dead body and be able to, uh, to be able to, I guess, compartmentalize and be able to also talk about what you're doing on a Friday night. That's the only way you can stay sane in this business. And I went home and I did what all you know, 21 year olds do when they are far away from home and scared, and in their first job and learning their way. I called my mom crying, and said, "I don't ever want to stand over a body and be able to talk about what I am what I am doing on a Friday night." And that really made me understand what I was equipped for <laughs> and what I didn't want to be. I wanted to be able to tell these great sports stories, and at the time, I thought it was a great split. From, this, from the world. I wanted to be the place where people turned to to escape from bodies, to escape from everything that was going on around us. Now, that was almost 30 years ago. Now, when I do a lot of training and coaching with young women, I always say there's no mine anymore. You can't just be a sports reporter. You have to be a reporter because sports and news always, always now coexist. And so it was just a different time. But at that time, I just remember going... I don't wanna do I don't wanna do this. Not that I can't do it, but I really don't wanna do it.
0: That's that's fascinating. And you know you said something early on about when you were in Alabama with the SEC sports was news. There wasn't sports and news. It was news. And as you just said, that's really the world we live in today. There's no bigger thing than the Super Bowl. That's front page news on, you know, Monday morning after the Super Bowl. Um, With the death of Kobe Bryant, that wasn't a sports story. That's a, a devastating story for people who loved him everywhere in the world. So it is interesting how, you know, over the last 30 years, that's become the norm everywhere where sports is news.
1: I'm really really glad that I grew up in the time I did in this business there's things I look at now and go oof that would have been wonderful I would have loved that opportunity or I would have loved um, that assist in certain ways but there's other ways where I'm really really thankful for the time I grew up in even though it was it was really challenging being a woman but the biggest thing is you had to be a reporter and now what's so different to me I, I work with so many women who want to be sideline reporters and they haven't They haven't worked on the chops yet to be a reporter, let alone a sideline reporter, let alone a sports reporter, let alone alone a news reporter. If I'm on a field for three hours or for six hours on a Sunday for a football game or a Monday, I've got to know what to do. Not just I I just am not watching the game. That's not the only thing that I need to make sure that I'm, I'm 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 ready for I'm prepared for. I know the difference between a concussion and a stinger. I know what to do if, God forbid, there's, a, you know, there's an injury where a player um, has to be carted off the field. Or if there is, God forbid, some kind of threat in the crowd. Or if the, you know, on a lighter note, if there's a lightning delay, I know, I know how to cover that and who to go to in terms of, you know, in terms of game stoppages. I, I, because I grew up as a reporter. And I also know how to work a courthouse. And there was a time that was really important to me. I knew if there was somebody that was arrested or somebody I needed to find out about domestic assault or domestic violence, it wasn't the Internet then. So I knew what to do if I walked in a courthouse. And now one of the things I love are so many young women get these great opportunities. But what really upsets me for them is they're truly not sideline reporters right now. They might be on a field watching the sidelines, but Oh, I wish so much that they could spend some years first working on being a reporter. When I started, what was really great was I, I started out as a reporter and, and a host and as an anchor, and I went from Montgomery, Alabama, to Chattanooga, Tennessee, to Chicago, which was a bigger jump than I, now looking back, was ready for. And then I went to CNN Sports and Fox Sports. So I moved from small market to big market to network. Now so many young women get thrown into these positions where they start out network. They, th- they start out on an NFL field. And I always just think, oof, I'm so glad I worked my way up to that because it, being a reporter, knowing how to navigate relationships, knowing how to build relationships, all those things that took me, you know, 20 years to do. I'm glad that's when I, I, I that's when I got to the NFL because I was prepared for it. and. I know all of us, you know, this is an age, this is every one of us looks to where I want to be next, we, you know, where am I going and I want to go there and my whole thing is ooh, just, just stay here, you know, be here right now and take on every one of those lessons because all of that is getting you to where you're going to be and hopefully where you're supposed to be at the right time.
0: When you talk about relationship building, uh, it's something that's come up on a couple of our other episodes, and I think it's so important and such a big part of what we do as reporters, men or women, what are one or two pieces of advice that you would give that you think are truly the key to building those types of relationships?
1: Um, you know, I give speeches on that now and not in the sports world and to corporations and companies. And that tells you how important it is. People, people are getting hundreds and or thousands of their employees together and literally say we want an hour of building relationships. That's, that's how important it is. And what I would tell you is it's the most important part of my job. And I say that also saying make no mistake about it. Building relationships is a job. I have Relationship Tuesday. And what Relationship Tuesday is is it's a day that I reach out to everybody. I reach out with no agenda. I reach out with no questions. Sometimes just checking in, and that's and and and, and I want to make sure that they know that I'm always showing up when I don't need anything. And I learned that as a really young reporter when I called Charles Barkley for something, and I knew Charles from Montgomery, Alabama. He, he's from a small town in Alabama, and. Um, Then when I went to University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, when I was in Chattanooga, his coach uh, was the head coach of the basketball team. So he was always back there. So I got to know him when I was young and growing. And one time I called him and he answered the phone and said, well, 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 Laura Oakman, what do you need? And I was like, hey, can a girl just call and say hello? And he was like, a girl can, you just never knew. I'm not trying to give you grief. I'm just saying that when you call, I know you need something. So what do you need? And that crushed me because as a young reporter, what I thought was, why would I bother him? I'm not going to call and say, great game or how was your weekend? So I just didn't because I didn't want to bother. And that completely shifted everything for me because I never wanted to be that reporter, let alone a human being. When, some, when somebody, you know, looks at their phone and they see your name on there that they go, "Ugh," and, you know, hit decline because they're like, what, is he, what does she want? And so that changed me. And so what I started really making sure that I did was build relationships with no agenda. And it was funny because I, I do a lot with, um, with NFL teams um, and, and training with players and how to vet reporters and how to build relationships on their side, what to look for. And when I started doing that, I called a player who I had known for about 10 years who uh, has what he calls a bubble around himself. You know, you can't get in the bubble. And the first time he told me that I was like, awesome. I'm going to get in the bubble. And he was like, I just literally told you there's a bubble. And I was like, that's fine. I'm going to get in. And every time I saw him talk to him, I'd be like, am I in the bubble? And he'd be like, no, you're great. You're not in the bubble. And (laughs) it finally took me, you know, probably 10 years. And one day he said something about being in the bubble and I wanted to cry. I probably did like, wait, am I in the bubble? And so I called him when I started doing this training and I said, I'm trying to help these young men vet reporters. And can I ask you, what did I do to get in the bubble? What's the one thing I should train? And he said, I can tell you easily when you reach out 10 times, you ask for something once. And that was my, you know, my grateful circle Charles Barkley moment to know that that set off everything. And just one more thing. I know you said one or two, sorry. Um,
0: Oh, you can play as many as you want to give. It's great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) After an NFL game, the second half of my day starts, I get into the car to go to the airport. So I have an hour to two hours before my flight. I look up every score of every game that I wasn't at and I start texting everybody, all my head coaches where I'm friends with who, or I have relationships with all the assistant coaches, all the players, all the owners, all the GMs, anybody. And I start doing Congratulations on the win. Sorry about the loss. I'm so sorry about the injury. You know, sending you healing thoughts. I reach out constantly again because I'm not I don't have an agenda. I'm not asking them anything. They don't need to respond. I just want them to know I'm around. I don't just show up when I want something. And so that's been years of doing that and now the difference of contacts and sources versus relationships is the biggest thing that I'm most proud of and I have Charles Barkley to thank for that because he really started my, my he changed my thought process from don't be that pain in the butt that, you know, that, that ask for things when you don't need it. And now I always want to be a person that um, when, when I'm around, they're not like, here comes Laura, she wants something, but they look forward to seeing me knowing that I do care about who they are as not as players or coaches or as owners or as, as management, but as men, as fathers and husbands and, uh, and sons and brothers, and I get to know them on that level, and I hope that's what uh, helped me go from, you know, from Montgomery, Alabama to now doing this for almost 30 years.
0: Do you think, and in the world we live in today, that it's almost inexcusable not to be able to do that because with text and, and social media, it's so easy to reach someone out to somebody and say, just logistically, I mean, not easy because it's, I think not everybody has sure. the courage to do it, but but logistically easy. Yeah. Do you send a text that says, I'm, I'm so sorry about the injury. I'm sending healing thoughts. Oh, I, you know, I saw your daughter's basketball game on social. I hope they won. You know, do you feel like at this point, like it's it's almost inexcusable not to be doing that?
1: Um, I always feel like I'm going to sound like that, you know, old woman now, but the more connected we are, the less, the least connected we are, the less connected we are. And so sometimes I think it's so easy. So people don't do it. Um, mm. But I can tell you after every Super Bowl. I send probably 30 to 40 texts, you know, to winners and to losers. And I'll hear from the winners within maybe a week or two, you know, just, you know, Hey, thanks. It was awesome. But usually I hear from all the losers within 10 or 20 minutes and because they're not getting that many texts. And so I'm very aware of that. and, And I'm also very aware of this is I'm doing this at this age versus when I was 22 or 25. And, and I also know that it's easier for me to say to do this because I've navigated it for a long time. I, I've lived in the gray, so I understand it. At 25, I didn't. It was how do you do that without sounding like you want something? And I don't just mean like yeah, an agenda, but now it's what I want them to know what my intent is. I want them to know that I'm not texting to get with them, you know, that I'm not crossing a line. I want to make sure the wife knows I'm okay with this, you know, that. So there's, mm-hmm. there's so many questions and I literally teach that, you know, that's how challenging it is. And so I say, I say that saying, I don't judge the, now I'm talking women. I don't judge the women who don't do it because there's a magnitude of reasons why people don't. It's hard. It's, it's, it's hard because again, it's a job and also because there is so much gray area in our business and a lot of businesses, but especially this one where it's male dominated and stereotypes and um, one of the biggest things that building relationships is. I make sure I get to know the wives uh, and the families. And I didn't do that when I was younger. When I was younger, I probably went the opposite because I didn't want it look like I was trying to be too personal. And so I stayed away from personal things. And now realizing that's truly the most important thing is, I'm always asking. And, and before I even you know have the first interview, I know if they're married. I know if they have kids. I I know the relationship with the mother. You know, I do my research. So I immediately am able to talk about other things um, um, that they understand that I'm trying to get them, you know, again, to, I'm trying to know them more as human beings, not just as players or coaches, but also I just want to help with the landscape and I want to make sure they know my intent right off the bat. And, and that came older. So again, I'm aware when I'm teaching, you know, 25, 20, year, 22 year olds or 30 year olds, that that needs a lot of coaching that's not as simple as just reach out you know well well, how do you ask for the phone number should you ask for the phone number when should you ask for the phone number so there's so many layers to it um and I think age has helped me and experience and and uh and time has made me know how to do that and be really good at it but it also took you know almost 30 years again to feel that confident with it
0: And that I think will lead us very well into Galvanize. But before we do that, we are going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. We're now going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness. The Masters and Major League Opening Day are right around the corner. Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. The best part, when you sign up you receive 50% welcome bonus. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night. We can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than doing it with actual free money. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up. It's super easy and if you're already into betting, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. Online: your online sportsbook experts. Okay, Laura, you talk a lot about teaching and, and you have been teaching, been teaching. Women and and you've been teaching young women, you've been you do speaking, you you consult. Um, but I wanna focus for a little bit on Galvanize because as someone uh, running a sports media company for women who want to be sports reporters, uh, obviously galvanize speaks very much to our heart, and a number of our fangirls have taken the course. So for those who don't know, can you talk a little bit about what Galvanize is? Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about how it's grown and the challenges that you've seen along the way.
1: Um, I started it because I started seeing all these young women get these great opportunities really quickly, like I said earlier. And if I was 25 or if I was 30 when I saw that, um, I, I was really judgmental of the women, or I would have been. Okay. and. I'm really fortunate that it happened when I was at a good motherly age.
0: And (laughs) instead
1: of being judgmental of the women, I was really protective and and I hated it for them because I I saw how ill-prepared they were. But I also saw um, men, no, I was gonna say companies, but it's men leading the companies and hiring, putting them in these situations that they weren't ready for, and I watched what happened afterwards, and I was in an elevator with one young woman who was 25 years old, and uh, the elevator door shut, and she looked at me and started crying and said, they're just getting so much younger and hotter, and she was 25, and so I started seeing all that, and and going, how can I help with that? I, I, I can't change the system, and the system is going to do what it's going to do. You know, the, the business is going to. But what I really want to be able to do is help the young women um, who are being thrown into it. And so when they do get these opportunities that I would say and, and I think that, you know, are a little bit ahead of what I would like them, when I would like them to get them, how can I help do everything I can to make them be ready for it? And so it started off the first boot camp, I, you know, I, it was over 10 years ago now. And it was way before women's empowerment and way before sisterhood. And and, um, and and I didn't have a sisterhood and I didn't have many women around me. And, and I just was trying to figure out how do I give them something I didn't have and I would have killed for at their age and also at my age at that time. And it started out with, I thought it was going to be young women getting better on camera and it completely changed. That's the tiniest part of galvanize. It's two days of, Empowerment. It's two days of building confidence. It's two days of how do you build relationships? How do you um, how do you not get how do you not land a sweet gig? But how do you build a career? And more importantly, how do you surround yourself with a network of women so you don't look at each other as competition? That you're all going through the same thing and navigating this gray. How do you uh, how do you support women and how are you supported by women as you navigate it all? and it turned into something pretty incredible. And now what I would tell you is, you know, each boot camp, um, it's not just for women on camera anymore. I have so many producers and women in PR and marketing and, and agents and who want to be all of that or who are in it. We're from ages 19 or I think I've had an 18 year old because it was um, a young woman who was a head coach's daughter. So it was familiar with the world or a player's daughter, but it's, um, it, it, it's, from that age to forty, and it can be women who are already in the middle of it but want to get better at it and deeper at it, and want to also have a network of women. Or it can be my college girls who um, who uh, want to want to want to come to it for the first time as they're figuring out that that what they want to do with their with their world. And it's pretty great because you'll see the young girls support the uh, the older ones, and you'll see the older ones support the younger ones, and by the end of two days nobody's looking at anybody's competition they're all so in love with each other and supporting each other and, and and day 2 after one day of all sisterhood and all women's empowerment and all you know research and working on you know being a better listener and how do you have the confidence in yourself to lead a head coach in a conversation or a player if they intimidate you day 2 we throw in the head coaches and we throw in the NFL rookies and now it's um, um, two days of empowering each other as women. And then by the end of day two, when we throw the men in there, it's the men helping the women out, the women helping the men out. And all of a sudden we have 25 rookies and we have 25 aspiring reporters, even though they might not be reporters, but all helping each other on their journeys. And it's pretty incredible. And it's completely changed from what I thought it was going to be to what it is. And I just know, you know, I I dread it, an NFL season ending. I miss it, but I can't wait till it does because I can't wait to get into the boot camp season. I can't wait to get, you know, to my estrogen. And mm-hmm. I love not only watching all these women grow in all these different ways, but also now I've been doing the NFL rookie boot camp, so I think for five or six years now. So watching these NFL players grow and watching how they are with women reporters, because as we when we get them as rookies. The first thing that, you know, they've never had women in a locker room. So Uh all of a sudden we walk in with 25 women strong, you know, or less than that or more than that, and they spend a day with them seeing how hard they work. We do all these exercises together so we get to know each other as people, not as reporters and players, and now their first experience with women reporters is they're working as hard as I am on my dream. And and respecting them and feeling for them and wanting to support them and wanting to help them. And so I like to think that um, every boot camp, if it's 20 to 25 women and 20 to 25 men, we have the potential to really help change some cultures and some minds and not just women supporting women, but these players supporting these reporters and these women supporting these men. And I like to think we check a lot of boxes off when it comes to empathy and just building relationships these days. And that was another very long answer to your question.
0: There was there was a fantastic answer to my question. So don't, don't <laughs> you worry about it being a long answer. It, it just it made me think earlier this season, uh, there was a, a Thursday where Richard Sherman came in for his press conference. And for some reason on that Thursday, none of us female reporters were there. And he walked hmm. in. It, to me, it was like the best moment of the season because it just feels like a shift. It, maybe not the best moment of the season, but it does feel a little bit of like a shift. And he said where are all the women what is wow, going on so great. <laughs> he made a joke he said it's like a Snosage fest here what's going on and everybody <laughs> laughed and it was so funny but it felt great I think for all of us like yeah we're it, it just there seems to be a shift like we know we belong here and people have known for years but for someone like Richard Sherman to come in and make the comment like where is everybody was great so I think yeah, was great, And I think what you're doing is what helps to build that. And you said a couple things in your answer uh, that I think were really worth uh, talking about a little further. First of all, you said the empathy between these rookies and the reporters, whether they're going to be reporters or not, the idea, wow, they're working as hard as I am on my dream. And I think that's a really important thing for reporters to see in a player and for a player to see in a reporter, because I think all too often we sometimes forget that these are these people's jobs. Whether it be a reporter, whether it be someone in the field, and when someone on Twitter refers to a player's trash, which is my pet peeve in life, you're talking about a human yeah. being doing his job. And I think what you're doing is incredible for both sides, for everyone to see how hard everyone's working at their job.
1: I appreciate that. And, and I know, you know, that's probably, I, I remember when I started galvanizing it, well, and I Sat down and was just like, what, like, what words am I trying? You know, sometimes you're doing something and there's so many moving parts, there's so many layers, and it's just you try to strip it down and go. At the end of the day, what is this? And I just remember writing down empathy and thinking at that time. And gosh, I mean, again, this was 10, 11 years ago. So at the time, I thought, boy, the relationship between players and reporters. But that being said, substitute, you know, uh, reporter and politician, reporters and, act, and entertainers, it's just, it just had never been worse. And it's only gotten worse since then. And, and I just remember thinking that at that time of none of us, you know, just for our job, thinking that we know what they're going through because we cover it, which we don't. And for players or coaches to think that they know um, what we're thinking or what we're going through because they've seen some bad ones, You know they don't and and it's just it's i can't think of a better word right now just in our life period in our world of just empathy for other people so you know galvanize is sneaky because again i get you know i'm sitting here right now in the middle of you know probably 1500 emails of women reaching out about it and so many of them say the same thing which is i want to get better on camera and the sneaky part is they will, because that, you know, that that's easy to coach really. I mean, because we're working on confidence. So by the time we're on camera, I promise you're going to feel better about yourself. So I, so I promise we're going to get you better. But what they're really going to walk out the door with is that supportive, you know, that supported group of women or the supportive group of women and empathy for each other, for the players and for themselves, also being kinder to themselves for what they're going through. And, there's so many things I want them to get out of it and being better on camera or being a better producer, or being better, you know, marketing, whatever it is there, that's a part, but it's the tiniest part of what galvanizes, but please don't tell anybody that that's the sneaky side.
0: We won't tell us all you guys, anybody listening, <laughs> don't tell anyone. That's they get my job they will be
1: great a, on camera.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's for the VIP content.
1: <laughs> <That's> yeah. <exactly>. Um, <laughs>
0: So you said something else, though, that I think I would love to just talk a little bit more about, because I think sometimes it's easier said than done, and it's the idea that these women leave the two days, and nobody's in competition with each other, and I think women can sometimes, we can be our own worst enemy, and it should be different, because the world's already against us. I don't really believe the world's against us, but you know, but i being very hyperbolic, but there are
1: so many,
0: I'm sorry, go ahead, Laura
1: no i i I totally get what i get what you're saying completely
0: yeah and so i think we need to be our champions and and work together and what is something you say um you know to someone walking into a situation where they're walking into a beat they're walking into an audition they're walking onto a football field for their first day and it seems to be a competitive 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 environment how can you do that and how can we support each other better because it's so important and we don't need to compete with each other
1: you know it's funny it's um the first boot camp i did i remember standing outside the room and i was signing everybody up and i didn't know what i was doing and um i'd give them a name tag and they'd walk in and there was probably like 25 30 minutes before the, the camp started but they had to just go in and you know get to know each other basically And I remember sitting there and signing women up and having one ear to the room and just sitting there going, Oh my gosh, this is going to take me all day to undo because I could hear the conversations. And it was, what do you do? How much experience do you have? Who do you know? Uh, What sorority are you in? You know, like it was just all these judging questions. And I remember that moment being like, how do I prevent this from happening? Because it did take me all day to undo it. So I changed everything from that moment, every boot camp and every room I'm in. If I'm speaking to, you know, corporate America, if I'm speaking to executives, I don't let anyone come into a room and small talk. I'm very purposeful of of making sure that it's not just going to the what do you do and who do you know. Now, because at the end of the day, what I'll say is really what judging other people is about is judging yourself. How do I measure up? And so the biggest thing is making sure To me, what I really worked on is my energy. When I was younger, especially with women, because there weren't a lot of us, so I would walk into a room or into a locker room or, you know, to an office, and I'd be really leery of women, and I'd watch to see what they were giving me. You know, are you a woman's woman? Are you a girl's girl? Like, can I trust you? Are you into me? And I'd watch that, and now I don't look for other people's energy. I bring mine. So before, you know, a game, when I'm walking the field for three hours, I'm eye contacting every woman, you know, like I'm making sure that any cheerleader, not just like other reporters or radio reporters or team reporters, or you know, anybody who's on the field with marketing or the the women, um, yeah, in kind of the VIP section. So I know that's the wives, and I know that's the mothers, and and again, the cheerleaders. It's any woman on the field. I'm I'm going to make sure I eye contact, and I'm going to say something supportive. I'm going to say like just how you doing, sister? Or, like you look great, you know, or just hi, how are you? I make sure that I, I come in peace and everybody knows that. And so I don't wait for anybody else's energy. I, I bring mine. And that's really important to me. And also the biggest thing that helped me as a, I'd say as a young woman, but I didn't really do the work until I was 40. That's when my life changed. I'd say what I really worked on at 40 was making sure that voice in my head was louder than everybody else's because I'd spent 20 years Being told you're not smart, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. You know, you 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 don't know anything you know about sports. And eventually, as much as you say it doesn't, you hear those voices. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to work on my voice, and I wanted to make sure that the voice in my head was saying, "You kick ass. You're awesome. You know, you know your stuff. You're going to crush this today. You're not going to fail. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Stay on your path. You know, you got this path." and that really changed everything for me was making sure that the voice in my head is my biggest fan. And that's the biggest difference. If, you know, if there was a thought bubble over my head from the time, you know, when I was a young girl until I was 40, it was really insecure and it was really judgmental and it was really mean. And now you would look at my thought bubble and be like, wow, like she really likes herself. And I do. I'm really, you know, like, I'm I'm proud of what I've accomplished that I know my flaws, I know what I'm not good at, I know what I need to work at. But I also will be the kindest voice in my head, saying, you know, even if I, if I don't know what I'm doing, you know, take your time with this, be patient with yourself, you know, you've got this, like, don't judge yourself. And I think when you're really kind to yourself, it can't help but overlap to how you are with other people and how you judge other people or hopefully how you don't judge other people. So back to the empathy word, I'm, I'm very big on not looking at someone and thinking I know their story because I know there's something going on that I don't know and uh, might never know or, or maybe uh, maybe I will and I, and I hopefully will find out if it's something they're going through that's tough. But I'm going to make sure that I go with the same kindness that I give to myself now. But again, that took me till I was 40. That took a lot of time to really train my voice to do
0: that. Did something happen that changed it for you when you were 40? Changed the mindset a little bit?
1: My life, um, everything changed. I was, um, you know, I, 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 I was, the moment that I can tell you was I was on an airplane, which isn't rare, I'm on them all the time but um i was on a plane that everyone thought was going down and it was a very scary moment and a very dramatic drop and the mask dropped and i sat there and i watched everybody around me and you know people crying and praying and reaching for their phones and i i didn't care and i always tell that story and i i share that a lot in my speeches and and just when i speak is to anybody And people will always say, oh, because you accomplished everything you wanted. And I always say, no, I didn't care. And they'll say, because you were at peace. And I say, no, because I I really didn't care. And so thank God when we landed, I made a vow right there to start creating a life that I would care about desperately. And everything changed for me from that moment. I stopped hiding behind my job. I stopped hiding behind everybody else's story. And I started focusing on my own and started creating my own and and started building a life, because before that moment, I had a great resume, and I had great boxes that were checked. All of them were checked. You know, at that time, I was already doing NFL games. I was already doing the playoffs. I had already hosted Olympics. I, you know, I was, I was, I was doing everything I had worked so hard to do, but I found myself very lonely. Um, I didn't have a circle of friends, because I wouldn't let anybody in. I was in a, a tough marriage, a sad marriage, I couldn't find the courage to get out of. And nobody knew I was struggling because I wouldn't share it with anybody. So everything from that moment turned to what can I do to create a life that would make me happy and that would give me a purpose, which I had passion for, you know, up until then, I loved my job and and uh, loved the loved the road I was on, but I had no purpose in my life. And so everything shifted to that.
0: That's that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's really amazing. Thank you for asking. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's important because it goes back to what you're saying about empathy, that you can look at someone and think you know everything and their whole story, and you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. And I know we hear a lot of it, you know, on social media, if you can be anything, be kind, and you never know what someone's going through. But I think for you to share that story just shows you really don't. You really don't know what people are struggling with, so don't assume you do, um, and don't don't create jealousy over things you have no idea even exist. If that makes sense. Yeah,
1: and it and it really it does, and it and it really does start with yourself, you know. In, in a world, you can be anything. Be kind, and I think we always think about everybody else being kind to them, but if you're not kind to yourself, it's just mm-hmm. everything else. Sometimes, you know, it just it doesn't touch, and so I think. I think really, you know, now for all for all your reporters that you work with, for all the reporters I work with, and, and we know they intersect. Um, yes. you, I, I, in my experience, what I always felt was just I didn't really truly become the best storyteller I could be until I focused on mine. Until I really did stop hiding behind everybody else's, and that got me deeper, and that got me um, that got me deeper in my storytelling, that got me deeper in my relationships. And um, I know that starts at home. And and that's not easy. You know, that takes a lot of work. It took me a lot of work. But I just know I spent, you know, all my career, I spent, you know, 20 years being told everything's going to go downhill after 40. You know, your window's closing. You won't be able to be in this business very long. Um, you're going to be disregarded. You know, I'd heard that for so long, so I dreaded getting older. And now what I love to tell women is just – you know, my, my I'm crushing the second act. I love my second act. My first act was just to get me here. You know, now I'm living my best life. And that happened after 40. And so I don't want to just, be, I don't want these young women that you and I work with to just see women. I want them mm-hmm. also to see older women and, and see older women who are successful and who are still doing this and who are happy and who are challenged. And I want them to say, I want to do this for a long time. I don't want to just look at the girls who are two years older than me, and that's the job I want. But look at the Michelle, um, look at the Michelle Tapoyas, look at the Pam Olivers, look at the Lisa Salters, look at all these women who've been doing it, the, the Holly Rose, look at all these women who've been doing it a long time and who are still crushing it and who are even better now, and go, how do I build a career like that? And a life like that, hopefully, one of the things that, that's enabled them to stay around so long is because they do have a balanced life because they have found the the building of the relationships, all of that that keeps you here that gives you the longevity. and that's what I want the young reporters and the young women to see more than anything.
0: You were obviously a mentor for a number of women. Did you have a mentor in your career and maybe someone you still go to when you need advice or guidance?
1: You know I didn't.
0: And, um, I hate that answer.
1: And yet, um, it's the real answer, which it was just, when I got into this business, there just weren't, there just weren't that many of us. And you were so hell bent that on, on blazing your own trail on creating your own path because it was so hard and you really were told constantly, you better have a plan B, you, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't do this. So you're, I, you or I, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I was so focused. I'm looking ahead at what I was doing that I wasn't looking for anybody else. I wasn't looking to the left of me, to the right of me to see who's doing it with me. I wasn't looking ahead to say, is there somebody who could help me who's already gone through it? And I wasn't looking behind to say, is there anyone I can help? I was just, my feet, you know, I was, my, my, my eyes were at my feet and and so I really didn't have anyone. And so part of me, you know, part of that answer is sad because I think, oh, I would have loved a mentor. You know, I wish somebody would have helped me, but the sadder answer is I also wasn't looking for one. And so um, what I would say now why I do love mentoring so much is because I hope I'm the mentor that I needed, and I hope I'm the mentor that I wish I would have had, and I wish I would have been vulnerable enough to look for. I always tell my girls, Don't just check in when times are good. You know, I know there's, you know, there's things that you're going through that you don't want to sound like you're complaining or you don't want to sound like you're bitching, but that's when you reach out to me. That's when you reach out. We talk a lot about setting your line or, you know, or creating your line of figuring out who you are. And and I don't want somebody, I don't want a young reporter to cross the line and think I don't want to call Laura because she's going to judge me or she's going to look down on me. I had to cross my line when I was young to figure out my line, to be able to define it. And so I want to make sure I'm the kind of mentor that um, is around for all the mistakes, because I made a bunch of them. And I can can do boot camps just on my mistakes. And I had nobody to go to to help me. And so what I wound up doing was judging myself through it and saying I wasn't good enough or saying that I wasn't professional enough. You know, all those things that I, I needed to learn and I had nobody there guiding me. so. Um, I really didn't I had I had some men who were wonderful who hired me and believed in me and so I'm you know I I do have some wonderful ones like that Um, and my best friend for over 20 years was Stuart Scott and Stuart was at ESPN2 when I met him and I was a young reporter in Chicago and we really really leaned on each other as he was blazing his trail as a black sports broadcaster and I was trying to figure it out as a woman sports broadcaster and he helped me in a lot of ways to not say I was a woman sports broadcaster. I was just a sports broadcaster. I was just a journalist. And um, I think he helped me so much over the years, uh, just helping me figure out my compass as a true friend and somebody in the business. But he, we were we were close enough in age that I wouldn't say he was a mentor. And yet I would say he was my biggest supporter.
0: Well, that's I think there's something to be said for that, too. It's I think equal, equally as important. Maybe a different role, but equally as important because I think we we all right? need that. Mm-hmm. So there, yeah, totally.
1: It. And you, remember when we were young and you thought you needed five, and now I'm going to guess you're the same, even though you're younger. But I, you know, if you can count, if you can count one, you know you're great. If you got two, fantastic. But it's it's a business with a lot of people, and to me, it's always if you can find those one or two who you really know, all they want is the best for you, and all. They want to do is help you get better then you found gold because some people go a whole career without those
0: and you know what i actually i do have two and they are both men and that doesn't mean i work with i work with incredible women on the 49ers beat i'm very very lucky and they're super supportive of me and i'm super supportive of them and i have women i look up to and women who have been like mentors but the two mentors i think i have that have really helped me to get better and really care and want me to get better all that are men and there's something to be said mm-hmm. for that too um yeah did, did. And, and so important oh i'm sorry yes no that was it that was all i was gonna say
1: <laughs> i love that tracy and it's it's always with boot camps i always bring men in you know if, let alone the rookies but also have men who are talking to us and also when i speak i love when there are men in there because. Two days of just women's empowerment isn't real. You know, the magic ends then, you know, because we're not going to be in a room. If you're in sports, you're very rarely going to be in a room of 50 women or 25 women, let alone 10 women, you know, who are really rooting on each other. But we need men as our allies. We need the men in the room who are championing us, who are supporting us, and who are respecting us. So um, just by numbers and odds, I'm not surprised yours are men or mine are more men. But um, I think what's happening more and more with with uh, with women as we're in, is there's more of us in the business and and finding success in different ways is doing what you're doing which is I maybe didn't have a lot of women mentors but now that i'm now that I'm in a position I want to mentor as many women and so again you, you kind of give what you wanted or what you needed so I'm not surprised you have two great men but I love that you're that one great woman woman for so many women
0: well thank you thank you that's been that's been fun and I always tell the fangirls, feel free to reach out, not just about your content or how you're doing work-wise. If there's stuff going on that you need a person to talk to and listen to, I am that person for you. And I think oh, that's I important. Love that. that's the but that's what you do, you know, it galvanizes in creating this world of women to have empathy for each other. I just think if there's a theme for this podcast today, it is definitely empathy. And it's so important, especially... In this world we live in with social media and with with everything that is going on, I think empathy is such an important world. So I thank you for making that such an important part of what you do.
1: Uh, I appreciate it. And we'll throw it right back at you. Um, I I know we started even before we started the interview talking about being kindred spirits or uh, similar hearts. And I like to think that is the foundation of both of us. So I think that's a pretty good thing to have in common.
0: I agree. I like that. Uh, I think I think this is a perfect lead-in to our five fun facts. Um, we I talk about this every week. Five fun facts is something I started doing with the 49ers players, and it is mm-hmm. how we end every podcast. It's been it's been well for lack of a better term it's been a lot of fun because uh, it gives them yeah. an opportunity to talk about themselves in a way they don't maybe necessarily get to. The fans like it, but it's something we started doing on the podcast because. It's just a great way to get to know our guests a little better. And I ask every guest the same five questions every week. Uh, so as soon as you are ready, I will just rattle them off and you can give me your answers.
1: I mean, I got nervous just now, but I'm ready, I think.
0: Well, they're not, they're, none of them are like, gotcha. They're all pretty, <laughs> I think they're all pretty good. And if you don't like one, you want to pivot to a different fun fact, go for it. We are not going to after another one. They're fun, they're not stickler facts, they're fun facts. So, so we'll, start, we'll start with this first one. I Let's think you'll like it. this one, but if not, we'll pick something And It is, what is your favorite moment in sports?
1: Um, my favorite moment in sports was as a young reporter covering the Chicago Bulls during the Michael Jordan and the second three-peat, um, which was very cool as a Chicago girl let alone as a sports fan, being able to uh, be on that traveling circus, be a part of that. And I was on the broadcasting team, so covered those games every night. And it's not really a moment, it's moments. It's being a part of that entire journey. And even understanding as a very young reporter, i will never ever witness something like this again, Um, Michael Jordan and just what it was like to cover that team and be around them. But I can say actually my moment of moments, was being a young reporter and sitting next to Stuart Scott. And again, he was at ESPN too. And we were both uh, growing and both very aware and very in awe of where we were. And I remember one day sitting on the court during a game and it was going, it looked like it was going towards overtime. And one of the reporters uh, got up next to us and was complaining and like, Oh, this is going to kill my deadline. And, and he was so frustrated. And we looked at each other and we were like, can you believe this? Like, let's make a vow right here right now to always remember where we are and and how privileged we are to be a part of this and not let deadlines and 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 schedules and the job get in the way of that and we had this whole conversation with um with uh paper over our heads so nobody could see us you couldn't see our mouths but we were sitting there going oh my god oh my god and like how cool is this and i just remember having that moment with him Saying, let's never forget this moment, and make sure we take stock of all the moments. So that's a pretty, that's one of my loveliest.
0: That's fantastic, and that's a good reminder for everyone. Uh, in in every in every type of career, but it's a very good reminder. What is your right? life? Right, like we're
1: in. A, oh. oh, I'm oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. What
0: is my say that? No, no. but go with what you're going to say because that we can get to life motto in a second.
1: It's again. It's just we cover other people's stories and to me I want to be very mindful that my story's involved in it so even though I'm watching a game I want to take stock in where I am in life and how I'm involved in this and what my story is in the middle of this huge sports story so um so I hope everybody has a sports moment that was awesome but I also hope it's not just Michael Jordan's outstanding moment, but also what was your moment in that moment? So um, I think I, it, that took me a while to learn also. So I'm always a big fan of trying to remind everybody as we're covering everything else, you know, make sure you're covering your own story too.
0: And I and I like that you guys had that conversation about let's not ever let the deadline, let's not forget where we are, because at the end of the day, we all have a pretty cool job. We get to cover a game yep. and a sport and something we enjoy. And so to kind of not forget that even when it doesn't mean it's not work, it doesn't mean it's not hard, but sometimes let, not letting those other things cloud the fact that at the end of the day you're on a field covering a football game and that's pretty cool. So I think, you know. Amen. Sister. Um, all right. So that brings us to the next one. What is your life motto?
1: Um, Life motto is – um when I was doing my work at that period of my life that was tough I um I had an obsession with honey. Um and the obsession was if you look at a pot of honey or a jar of honey and you just put a jar of honey down outside, you will see bees come buzzing and bees can't help themselves. Bees have to get to the honey. They're attracted to the honey. And they don't have to, um, the honey doesn't have to sell itself. The honey doesn't have to work for it. The honey doesn't have to prove anything. The you know, honey just becomes, it just sits as honey and the bees will come. And so my motto is bees to honey and always working on being the best honey I can be. I know that when I'm pushing or when I'm selling or when I'm forcing, I know that um, that I, I don't feel like myself, but I know when the best people are around me, the best opportunities are around me, and, and the best um, of everything is around me is because I'm being my authentic honey. And it's a great reminder to me when I feel a little stuck or when I feel like something's not right, I can look really quickly inside and be like, am I being my honey right now? And I'm not. So it's probably my favorite motto because it's an easy check for me. You know, am I being my honey? Yeah. So that's all I can do. And the right bees will come buzzing. And the ones who don't are not meant to find this honey anyway. There's, there's other honey elsewhere they're supposed to go to. But that's the one that, um, that I love. And I don't have a tattoo, but I would like to get one. And it would be a little pot of honey on me. So I am working on that right now.
0: That is That might be the best motto I've ever heard. It really is. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it really, it's so, so good creepy. in so many aspects of life whether it be career, whether it be relationships, whether it be anything, I think that is really one of the best if mottos, if not the best I've ever heard. So congratulations on that. <laughs> really,
1: God.
0: It really is. Um, do you have a go-to? Thank you, honey. thank you, honey. Oh, well, thank you, honey. <laughs> so
1: I'm gonna,
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wrote it down and I've underlined it three times because I don't want to ever forget it. <laughs> oh, so that's so awesome. Cool. Um, do you have a go-to workout? Um, right
1: now I wish I had a go-to workout. Um, what I would say is, uh, Pilates is, is my favorite. I feel like that is my, um, it kind of incorporates everything. So I love that it's for your body. I love that it's for your mind. And I love that it's a good stretch. And the older I get, that just feels like that's good therapy for me physically and mentally. So I would say that is my favorite workout. Wait, Uh, can I add one thing? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to add one. Pilates is like my real, like here's my hour. I'm going to do Pilates. But my true favorite workout would be every morning, my husband and I start our day with a 45 minute to an hour walk with our puppy. And we had this debate yesterday because I said something about our morning exercise and my husband was confused. and And he's like, is that exercise? And I was like, probably not technically, we're not breaking a sweat, but I think it's the best way we start our day is, like, getting a great walk going and just our heart going with just being so happy being with each other and being with our puppy. So that's my favorite go-to.
0: What kind of puppy do you have?
1: He is a Rhodesian Ridgeback. So when I say walking our little puppy, just know he's 106 pounds and he's two years old.
0: When I was a kid, my grandparents had a Rhodesian Ridgeback. We named her Ariel after the Little Mermaid. <laughs> I love that dog. <laughs> they're wonderful dogs. <laughs> they're
1: the best. I love that. I love that. I love her name. Our puppy's name is Booya, and oh. there's nothing that is there's nothing better when we're at the park. And if anybody goes, "What's your dog's name?" and we and they're sports fans, and we say Booya. They will shout it every time Booyah comes by. So you just hear all day, like, Booyah, Booyah. And so we love it because, one, we love our puppy. But, two, it keeps stored in our house and in our heart all the time.
0: Um, I could cry. That's so sweet. That really is. That, that's so sweet. That's wonderful. No, thank you. for sharing that. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, do you have a go-to coffee order that you drink while walking Booyah? Um, no, I
1: am not a coffee drinker, so I do not. My, the worst way I get caffeine before a football game or at halftime is I have a Diet Coke and that's my, that's my crack. That's my, my, um, (laughs) my caffeine pop. I wish I could break that habit, but that's, that's where I get my, uh, that's where I get my fix.
0: That's where caffeine fix comes from. Uh, And then, last but not least, what is a book that you believe every woman should read?
1: Um, here's a funny thing. So again, back to the hardest time because usually that's where we—that's what makes us. It's not our best times; it's the hardest. It's funny because everyone always asks me when I talk about all the lessons I learned during that really tough year. um, They'll always say, "What books were you reading?" And I love reading. I'm a voracious reader, but I wouldn't read during that period because I didn't want to read anyone else's story. I wanted to work on my own. And mm-hmm. so I didn't read during that time because I, I didn't want to spend two hours, you know, reading about someone else's experiences or thoughts. I wanted to figure out mine. And so what I'd say is, I think everybody should read The Alchemist. I think that's such an important one at all different times of life. Um, it helped me um, just with, God, there's so many messages, it's hard, but. It, it, it probably showed me that there's hope um, in the hardest times, in the darkest times, and also it really showed me that the universe is conspiring for you, not against you, and there was some comfort in that. But I would say there's some passage passages that I love. There's some quotes that I love. Um, you know, there's, there's one that I love during my hardest time that helped me open up, and there's one – that helped me find the kindness in my voice. So there's things like that where I'll always send to some of my girls during a hard time, like read this. But I, I guess I would say as a whole, everybody, young women, young
0: men, or at any age, everyone should read The Alchemist.
1: And it's a short, easy book, but it's such a powerful, wonderful one.
0: It is, it is It is a great book. And would you be comfortable sharing the quote that you use for someone going through a hard time?
1: Sure. Um, one is a longer quote, so I apologize. I'm going to read, but um, I'm finding it right now because it's in my favorites. It, so it, it goes back to when I was hiding so much and I wasn't sharing anything, and this reading this changed my life. It, it really made me see um, the purpose of opening up and and the risk uh, risk reward of it. And it's by Louise uh, Erdick, and the quote is: um, "There it is." Life will break you. Nobody can protect you from that, and living alone won't either. For solitude will also break you with its yearning. You have to love. You have to feel. It is the reason you are here on earth. You are here to risk your heart. You are here to be swallowed up. And when it happens that you are broken or betrayed or left or hurt or death brushes near, let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling all around you in heaps, wasting their sweetness. Tell yourself you tasted as many as you could.
0: That is fantastic.
1: It, it was it was such a, a, it was such a game changer for me of just understanding um, that that the the hurt and um, the hurt and the sadness and all of that is part of why we're here. We're not supposed to avoid it. You're supposed to experience it and 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 taste from that apple. So that, that was a big game changer for me. I still I still love that. And, and every time I read it, it brings me right back to that moment when I went, oh, like I've been looking at this so long.
0: That's fantastic. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a really spectacular episode. Um, our listeners were in for a real treat today. Uh, as was I was just having this conversation, Tracy, I know um, it took us a minute to
1: get our schedules to sync up, but I knew it would be right when it was supposed to happen. And I'm so appreciative for your patience for getting here and also just for the conversation. You are wonderful. So I can't thank you enough for having me.
0: Well, thank you so much. And hopefully we will get to talk again very soon.
1: I hope so. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.